57 words in the original Greek lead us to this point. The values of the entire kingdom of God in those 57 words. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, if you want to be who God says you are and who the kingdom says you are as well, this is the way that we need to pray and this is the way that we need to think about our relationships with God and think about our relationships with each other. And one of the things that we talked about in this prayer is that we're in the second half of it where we talked about the first three provisions, the first three petitions are things that God is calling for. Um, Your name be holy, your kingdom come, your will be done. Those are all of God's petitions. And then in this second half that we started last week, we've looked at all the things that now we need to accomplish those things. Our daily bread, our forgiveness, our temptation. And so we sort of put a scaffolding up that helps us think about the second half of this prayer. And that the daily bread is a provision and our forgiveness is a pardon and um, deliverance is a protection. And so in each one of those things, Jesus is talking about our present moment, our daily bread, what we need for now and today. And a pardon is our past. The forgiveness talks about the past, how we, where we've come from and uh, what we've carried along the way with us. And then our temptation, our deliverance is a protection from the future self. And so we'll talk about that next week as we finish up this series. But we're going to talk there in that middle part about our past. We're going to talk about that pardon that we received and that we must give to other people in order to fully be forgiven. Um, And that's a difficult phrase for us to wrestle with. And I'm going to admit that there is some tension for me in this passage And I don't actually fully understand a lot of the things that Jesus is asking of me here in this moment. I'm going to put together a few pieces of what I can see happening in here. But there is still some tension because Jesus is telling us this one thing and he's very, very clear and very certain about it. But also there are some truths about God and how he has approached this and what forgiveness looks like um, in our own lives. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to really sort of um, buckle down on where that comes from. And it, it's going to be hard to wrestle through. I'm, I'm going to be honest with that because it's hard for me to wrestle through as well. Um, but I think that we need to be in a healthy place where sometimes we can just say, I don't know. I don't know what this is saying. Here's what I want it to say. That's one thing. That's the wrong approach. And then to say this is absolutely what it's saying is another approach that we shouldn't do either. We need to be open with what God is willing in our lives. We need to be open to what the Holy Spirit is saying so that we don't get into these dogmatic practices where we just say, this is absolutely the thing that is going to happen. And so I think that we need to take that into consideration as we read this um, and sort of put together the pieces of it. As we know, the the Lord's Prayer is talked about in two different places. So Jesus is preaching about it here. He's teaching here in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And then it's also found in the book of Luke. The book of Luke has just three verses for the Lord's Prayer. And when, when this part gets translated in Matthew, translators like to use the word debt for this. Forgive us our debts. 
But a lot of times we'll hear, forgive us our trespasses. And that's an interesting word, trespasses. It's an interesting place that we come to. Because actually in Luke, that's the way this word is uh, translated. Luke uses the word trespasses. Matthew uses the word debts. And there's an interesting idea behind how each of those traditions came about, and especially in the modern church. Um, there are some traditions that prefer to use the word forgive us our debts, um, usually in a Presbyterian, uh, more reformed tradition in that fact, like to use the word debts because sin is foremost in their minds and the payment process uh, would be there. Um, the, in the Episcopalian tradition, um, they use the word trespasses more often because they were landowners. And so to them, trespassing on land would be more of an important thing, something that would be forefront in their minds as well. So there is a great history between, depending on your culture, depending on where you've come from, um, there's going to be a, a hang-up as to where we are in that. But the vision is difficult to understand. What is forgiveness here in these moments? What is it that we are trying to portray through debt and through trespasses? What is it that we're trying to say through both of these ideas? Um, I think that what forgiveness is talking about, and especially in the terms of debt and trespasses, is that believers are caught between unfulfilled responsibilities and acts committed that aren't in harmony with the will of God. Let me, let me break that down a little bit because there's a lot of words in there. So if we have a failure to fulfill what God has required of us, that's a debt. That's an obligation. That's something that we're tied to. If we fail to uh, fulfill what God requires of his will, that is a debt. Now, if we fail to do the right thing when we do act, that's a trespass. That's stepping onto the land. That's an action already. But our action was incomplete or it was the wrong one or it was in a place where we have to say, I messed up that somehow. Whether we've lied or whether we've had anger or whether we've had um, malice towards someone else, whether we've acted in disinterest or our own interests out of spite, out of selfishness, that's an act that is a trespass against someone else. And so... I think, I think the word trespass is a little bit more full. It's a stronger sense of what we're looking for here. But debt also does work, and I think it's important to understand and capture both senses of the word. That it's an inability or it's a failure to fulfill, and then in fulfilling a wrong act or failure to do the right thing. Now, it's interesting, the Greek word here has the force of canceling. So when we think of debts, we think of the ledger, we think of side by side, and we think you owe this part, and I want to see this side of the ledger fulfilled. I want to see that there. And so when we go in and cancel a debt, we just cross a line through it. That side of the ledger doesn't need to be filled because that side of the ledger with the debt on it has been canceled, it's been erased. So the word forgiveness here that Matthew is using really carries the force of canceling, of saying, cancel our debts, remit our debts, push them aside. In fact, it literally means um, to send away. 
So when you want to send away something, you just forget about it completely. You send it packing. So when we're praying this, we're saying, God, please send away the debt that I have. Please send away the things that I've come under obligation to you for. Send away is an action word. It's more visceral. It's a, it's a place that we can stand and say, I can see God pushing that away, taking the action to step forward and take that away. Now, it's related to the Hebrew word meaning to drop, to let drop. So as we are asking for forgiveness, as we are um, letting these things go, it's all based on, and I'm working up to this idea of what we read in Deuteronomy 15 this morning, the seven years. Every seventh year was called the Jubilee year. And when we have the act of forgiveness, when we have the act of pushing things away, when we have this idea of, I don't want this to happen anymore, Jesus, or God gave the, um, the law to Moses and he said, every seventh year I want your fields to remain barren. This is a, a jubilee. It's a Sabbath for your fields so that they can restore. They can come back up and receive nutrients. And so that was the phrase. It was to let it drop, to let it lay so that it wouldn't produce for that year. Every six years, you're going to produce those crops. But on that seventh year, on that jubilee year, you're going to let it go. It's not going to do anything. And so then Jesus, our God, as he's revealing himself further in history, he comes to the Israelites and says, now what I want you to do for the land, I want you now to do for your fellow Israelites. And so every seven years is a jubilee year where we talk about, I want you to go to those people that you have a debt with, the people that own you, the people that you have an obligation to, and I want you to say you are free of that. If anyone works for you, if anyone is a slave to you, let them go. They are free. Let it drop away. It might even evict the sense of chains falling off. The idea that as our debt is released, our chains that have held us in bondage, the slavery that we've held in those sins and those debts have been let go. Jesus wants a first century Jew to remember the concept of Jubilee. We've talked so much about how high the taxation rates are at this time. And so to go to someone who owes you money because the interest rate has been so high or owes you taxes or owes you something, the idea to just say, you are forgiven. You do not need to pay that debt anymore. You can walk away from that. That's a hard thing to do. But Jesus is reminding them, this is what we have been practicing since the time of your father, since the time of Moses came into the land. You owned land. I gave you the gift of the land. And now I want you to give it away. I want you to say, you owe nothing to me. As we look into Luke 4, this is such an interesting part because Jesus comes to the temple and he's opening his scroll in the temple. He's teaching. They say, what scroll do you want to read from? And they say, he says, bring me Isaiah. I want to read something. 
So the synagogue attendant gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and Jesus unrolled it to a place where Isaiah had written these words. The spirit of the Lord, the eternal one, is on me, because God has designated me to be his representative to the poor, to preach good news to them. He sent me to tell those who are held in captive that they now can be set free, and to tell the blind that they now can see. He sent me to liberate those held down by oppression. In short, the Spirit is upon me to proclaim that now is the time. And this is what he says. This is the jubilee season of God's grace. Jesus is invoking the picture. He's saying, now is the time. I stand before you to proclaim that God's forgiveness, the time of jubilee, the time where all people are set free, it's happening now. And you know what they did? They threw a party. They said, yes, finally, we're free from sin. No, they did not do that. They surrounded him and they wanted to kill him on the spot. They wanted to throw him off a cliff and Jesus disappeared from their view. Because owing something to someone or having someone owe something to you means you are obligated. You are tied to that person, that thing. They own you or you own them. And now what does that say about us in community? What does that say about how we treat the people around us? That we would rather own them. We would rather be slaved to them than witness the joy of letting go. One thing that we need to always mention about biblical forgiveness is that it is not never mind. It is not an excuse for behavior. It is not, you wronged me and that's okay. Because I'm a Christian and I can be a doormat for you. You can walk all over me because my God has told me to forgive you. And therefore, all of those things that you did to me, those are acceptable losses. Biblical forgiveness is not saying never mind to that person. And this is part of the struggle that we have in forgiveness. This is part of the tension that we experience in forgiveness because so much of what we think that forgiveness is is this idea of just saying, that's it, it's fine. Grace has solved all of these problems. I love you. I accept the things that you did to me. We don't see injustice and explain it away. When we see injustice, God has given us the duty God has said to us, I need you to fix this. I've sent you here to fix this. Just because you've forgiven doesn't mean we don't seek out the injustice and try and solve the problem. And the other thing that we get confused with is that we are never ever told to forgive and forget. I think this is a quaint little saying that comes from Somebody with good intentions, oh, you should forgive and then forget. Good luck doing that. Because we think that so much of forgiveness is tied to forgetting what that other person did to us. 
And I think what Jesus is teaching us here, he puts it right after daily bread because forgiveness is a daily act. It's a daily sacrifice because we wake up and we remember what that person did to us every single day. And then we get to practice forgiveness again and again and again in a daily fashion. Because how many times did Jesus say, forgive that person? He said one time. That's all it's going to take. You forgive that person one time and you can walk away and you will be healed forever in this situation. That's what they expected him to say. But Jesus shocked his disciples and he said, when you forgive, you need to forgive 70 times, seven times, 490 times. Not that specifically, that specific number. He's saying you need to keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving because you are going to wake up in the morning and you're going to remember what that person did to you. And you're going to need to forgive them again and again and again. This is the way that forgiveness works. You don't understand what that person did to me. You don't get it. They need to come and forgive me first. They need to ask for forgiveness from me first. You don't understand what they did. 20 years ago, they said this one thing to me, and it's always been with me. And it was so rude and so hurtful that I can't forgive them for that. Because they were in the wrong. They owe me. They're obligated to me to come and ask for forgiveness. What Jesus is saying then is essentially forgive every time you remember this. It's going to take 20 years. It's going to take 30 years. It's going to take your lifetime. And you're going to forgive your father or you're going to forgive that person who said something to you. Or you're going to do this and that. And you're going to say, wow, this is hard. This is impossible. And Jesus says, too bad. Because you're a disciple of me. You're a follower of me. And this is what followers of Christ do. This is what people who live in the kingdom of God do. Forgive us as we have forgiven each other. Forgive in the same manner as we have forgiven each other. Don't hold anything against us because I haven't held anything against my neighbor or my friend or my family. Treat us the same way that we would treat other people. Unless we are able to forgive one another and seek God's forgiveness, we are unable to live together. And so part of what Jesus is saying here is that your forgiveness is tied to community relationships. If you cannot forgive the people around you, your community will suffer. Your relationships will suffer. And in fact, Jesus comments on this at the end of his teaching. It's the only part of the prayer that he actually makes a comment on. In Matthew 14 and 15, he says, If you forgive people when they sin against you, then your father will forgive you when you sin against him and when you sin against your neighbor. But if you do not forgive your neighbor's sin, your father will not forgive your sins. See, we don't like to read that part. We don't think that's the way God should work. We want to tell God, you know what? I want universal forgiveness. I know I mess up every day. 
let me stop just for a second because I want to I want to just make sure that we understand the the kind of forgiveness we're talking about. We are forgiven once and for all. The work on the cross did that for us. When we are in Christ, we are always forgiven. Those sins once and for all, the debt that we owed, that's it. Done. We're not talking about that kind of sin. And Jesus is not talking about that kind of sin because he's already talking to believers in this section. He's talking to believers who are forgiven, who are living in Christ and who are recognizing that God is standing there in front of them in Jesus' flesh. Jesus is talking about these day-to-day things, the necessity for us to believe that we need to repair our relationships with God and with each other. That's the type of forgiveness that we're talking about here. That's the type of people that Jesus is telling us to relate to. To say, you know what? Daily bread comes every day. God will take care of you for that. Daily forgiveness comes every day. His mercy is more. Every day he has new mercies for us. It wouldn't have to be new every day if it was this once and forever part. And so Jesus is saying, we need this type of forgiveness in our communities to live with each other ably. Forgive as we forgive. And the standard then is set. Because what this is teaching, what Jesus is looking at right here in this moment, is we have now set the standard. We're saying, Jesus, deal with me as I deal with other people. And that is scary. That's the part that we want to erase from the Bible. We want to erase 14 and 15 because we don't want God to deal with us the way that we deal with other people. You don't understand what they've done to me. Right, I don't. But you don't understand what you've done to God. He took the first step. And for now, you to stand there in your smugness, in your selfishness, and to say, you know what that other person did to me? I know I am forgiven. Jesus has come into my life and my sins are washed away. But you don't understand what that person did to me. I want to hold on to that because I own them now. But I'm free. I'm free of all these things. And Jesus says, not so fast. If you are truly forgiven, if you believe in God, if you are living in the kingdom, you share in that forgiveness with all people. Every moment. Every day that it comes to mind, we forgive and we forgive. Forgive as I have forgiven. Forgive me as I will continue to forgive. Deal with me as I deal with other people. And man, that is so hard. Use the same standards that I have already applied to other people. I think we can best illustrate this from a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18. He says this, if you want to understand the kingdom of heaven, think about a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Just as the king began to get his accounts in order, his assistants called his attention to a slave who owed a huge sum to him. What a laborer might make in about 
hundred lifetimes. The slave, maybe an embezzler, had no way to make restitution. So the king ordered that he, his wife, and all of their children and everything the family owned be sold on the auction block. The proceeds from the slave's sale would go toward paying back the king. And upon hearing this judgment, the slave fell down before the king himself and begged for mercy. Have mercy on me and I will somehow pay you everything. Now the king was moved by his emotion. So indeed, he took pity on the servant, told him to stand up and then forgave the debt. But the slave went and found a friend, another slave who owned who owed him about a hundred days wages. Pay me back that money, shouted the slave, throttling his friend and shaking him with the threats of violence. The slave's friend fell down and begged for mercy. Have mercy on me and I will somehow pay you back everything I owe. But the slave laughed and was hard-hearted and refused to hear the friend's plea. He found a judge and had his friend thrown into prison where he said, you will sit until you can pay me back. The other servants saw what was going on. They were upset, so they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king summoned the slave, the one who had owed so much money, the one whose debt the king had forgiven, and the king was angry. He was upset. He said, you scum, he said, seething with anger. You begged me to forgive your debt, and I did. What would be a faithful response to such latitude and generosity? Surely you should have shown the same kind of mercy to your friend who is in debt. So the king turned over the unmerciful slave to his torturers and they had their way with him until he could pay his whole debt. And then Jesus says this, and that is what my father in heaven will do to you unless you forgive each of your brothers and each of your sisters in the very depths of your heart. There's no way around this. There's no way past this. That we are like this servant standing in front of the king who is owed a debt greater than we could possibly ever repay. 500 lifetimes of debt. And he said, go, be free. Be done with this. You're gone. And that very day we walk out of that place and we say, give me what you owe me. It's so small and so insignificant and so selfish and petty. And yet we can't get out of our own way. We can't stop doing this. What about those tortures though? What about the tortures of the unforgiven? What about those moments? I don't think he's talking about hell. I don't think he's talking about this eternal damnation because forgiveness and salvation are two different things. I think that what Jesus is telling you is that if you don't forgive the people around you, it will drive you insane. You will be tortured your entire life because you will be obsessed with this debt. You will be obsessed with this selfishness. You will be obsessed with this pettiness. Your community around you will fail. Your friends around you will fail. 
because you want to hold this against the people around you. You will be tortured mentally and emotionally your entire life. We set the standard for forgiveness is what Jesus is saying. And so if it's our choice, by the way, God does not have to forgive. This is absolutely a gift. And so if he wanted to say, I'm going to withhold my forgiveness of you until you go and forgive others, he's absolutely in the right to do that because he does not owe that to us. But the the promise, the gift of forgiveness is universal. And there's a condition attached to it, though. Just do it like me. Just be like the king who wipes away 500 lifetimes of debt. There's an obligation, there's a cost, there is a sin debt. When you release that from another person, you are saying, I will pay what you owe. This is not an... This is not a works righteousness thing. This is not, if you do this, then you will get forgiveness. That's not the way the kingdom works. You have forgiveness. But mercy is a requirement for disciples of the kingdom. Jesus is saying, you will never fully understand forgiveness until you get rid of the debt from that other person. You will never truly understand what it means to be forgiven if you require someone else to be tied to you and that obligation for your life. Jesus is saying, let's do this in the same way that God has done it for us. Mercy is not effective and re- effectively received unless it's shown. Because God's mercy transforms. And so if I were to say it in a really nice and neat way, if we were going to look at the bottom line today, we would say this, forgiveness not shown is forgiveness not known. I can't know the forgiveness of my God. I cannot stand fully transformed in his image. I cannot bear his image because if I have not shown forgiveness, I am not bearing what forgiveness looks like to the world. And at the very beginning of this prayer, we said, may your name be kept holy and may I be the one who does that. And so if I cannot carry forgiveness into this world, if I cannot carry forgiveness to the people around me, I cannot effectively bear the name of God in the community. Forgiveness will always cost us something. 